Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a strange year, hasn't it? I'm recording this in 2021, and we're still not at the end of the current worldwide pandemic. People have been searching for comfort in all sorts of places, whether that's in family, in medicine, or in simply having more stuff. Where are Christians meant to find comfort? Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to be playing some sermons I've been giving from the book of Isaiah. This book is foundational to the New Testament, and uh, the New Testament authors seem to say that their message is in line with it. So we're going to see what it says, and we'll see where God calls us to find comfort too. Isaiah 45, verse 20, all the way to the end of Isaiah 46. Gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what it is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the ancient, from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none but me. Turn to me. And be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god and they bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known from the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I've said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted. You who are now far from my righteousness, I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. Does it ever shock you that the one true God has rivals? 
others that people ascribe greatness to. We've seen in Isaiah, haven't we, that there is only one true God. There is only one who has created all things and only one who can save his people. Yet the fact of the matter is there are rivals to God. There are other things out there that people think control the world. What do you make of that? Quite a lot of the time, I think we just carry on and we just let that be. Or at least people have something. I mean, it's better to be religious than to be secular. It's better to be a deist than an atheist. But Isaiah wants us to see the total horror of it. He wants us to react like Paul in Acts chapter 17. He wants us to be sickened by idolatry around us. Just think about it for a moment. The one true God who deserves all the honor and all the praise of all of creation is being sidelined. That's not the way things are meant to be, is it? In fact, Isaiah says that any belief, whether that's Hinduism, Islam, Scientology, or even atheism, they all fall into the same category. Because to reject the one true God is the issue at hand. Whether that is another God or playing God ourselves, any other God really is no other God. And idolatry has been the big issue in Israel's history from early doors. We've seen it in growth groups, from Adam and Eve making themselves the arbiters of good and evil, through to the fall of the Israelites with the golden calf. Just think about that moment for a moment. Just think about that golden calf incident. Israel are standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, where only one day before, they were hearing God speak through thunder and lightning. And yet the very next day, they're making a golden calf and bowing down to it. See, idolatry is a perennial problem in our world, both in Isaiah's day and today. And so this evening, we are returning to the courtroom. In fact, we've been here before. If you remember chapter 41, we actually haven't left that room at all. But now we have the jury coming in. How is God going to deal with his rivals? That is the question of the court in session. Are the nations going to continue in their idolatry? Or are they going to turn to God? Is Israel going to listen to what God is saying? Or are they going to carry on ignoring him? Chapter 45, verse 20. Gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives of the nations, ignorant to those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. The court has been assembled, and in walk the witnesses. Who are they? Well, they're the fugitives of the nations. They're the people who've been walked on by Cyrus last week. And the question is raised, now that that has happened, who are you going to listen to? The idols of wood, the gods that can't save, or the one true God? How is it that the world can come to know the one true God? How is God going to deal with his rivals? We're going to see three ways this evening. And the first of those is in verses 21 to 25. How is God going to deal with his rivals? Point one, in judgment. Have a look at verse 21. Declare what is to be, present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a saviour. There is none but me. 
Who is it that said Cyrus was going to do this 150 years in advance? Was it the idols or was it God? Well, the answer should be obvious, shouldn't it? No other God has said this. All it takes to bring this case down is one, just one other prediction. But the silence is deafening. There is no other prediction. The other side in the case can say nothing. And so the logical conclusion is there in verse 22. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. The whole world is invited to turn to the one true and legally proven God because there is no other. Nothing else is going to do. It's simple. And God's offer is open. Turn to me, nations. And he goes further. He makes a promise. Have a look at verse 23. By myself, I have sworn. My mouth is uttered in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. When God speaks, things happen. And here, it's promised, it's sworn. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will swear that there is one true God. God says it, so that's it. Yeah, that will either be done positively or negatively. The next two verses, they put it starkly. Either people will find deliverance, they'll find rescue, they'll find strength in God. They'll be numbered among the descendants of Israel as God is recreating his people. Or they're going to come to God and be put to shame. So either way, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. Everyone will find themselves there at the end of history. See, the fact that God has rivals is not going to be a fact forever. God is only temporarily rivaled. And at the end, when God brings about the new creation, everyone will confess that he is the one true God and that there is no other. See, God is going to deal with his rivals in the end, in judgment. But how about now? How is God going to deal with his rivals in Isaiah's day and in our day too? Well, that's the second thing to see in this passage. God's going to deal with his rivals by showing their uselessness. Just have a look at verse 1 of chapter 46. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. Who's Bell and Nebo? Well, you might recognize them. These are the idols of Babylon. Bell, otherwise known as the king of destiny, and Nebo, his son. Gods of the nations that are going to rise up and stomp over the rest of the world. They're going to carry Israel into exile. We might not recognize the names of the idols, unless we've been to the British Museum and read the book many times. But we have heard these gods before. See, in Daniel, there are two kings that name themselves after these gods. Uh, Belshazzar, you heard that name? Nebuchadnezzar, you heard of him? Ring bells? See, these are the idols of the great and powerful nation. They are the exile makers. But as Babylon stomps, its gods are where? Oh, there they are. They're carried by beasts of burden. As the animals that the gods need to carry them around slog over the ground, well, the idols, they're, they're slinking through the dust. They're kissing the ground. To think that a god needs carrying, is, it's laughable, isn't it? 
Oh, hang on a minute. Daisy there is going off the track. Whoa, there goes Belle with her. Whoops. And these gods, they seem here to be going into exile as well. See, as Cyrus, the king of Persia, comes along and destroys Babylon, the idols, they're even less able to escape than the people are. See, God wants to ask the people of Isaiah's day, do they have a God that they have to carry? Or do they have a God who carries them? He wants to demonstrate in the here and the now how foolish it is to trust in anything other than himself. Look at verse three. It is God who has carried his people since their birth. It's not them who's carried him. I mean, compared to other so-called gods out there, it's the Lord who holds all things up. He is the one, verse four, who cares for his, for his people from birth through to their old age. He is the one who has created, who has provided, who has saved his people. God has done all of that and his rivals, and they can't even move themselves. How comforting is it to us today to know that God carries his people from their first breath to their gray hair? That's true for each of us today. Even if you've lost that hair or it's gone white. See, to compare God to something that someone pours out of their bag, something made by someone else, it's absolutely ludicrous. In fact, just imagine how God feels about that. Just grasp how patient God has to be to endure with a world that thinks his rivals actually exist. God alone can save and God alone controls the future. He speaks again of Cyrus there in verse 11. From the east, from a far off land, God summons a bird of prey, a man to fulfill his purposes. Who else can speak with such certainty of the future? Who do you want to put your trust in? Who's demonstrated their right to be worshipped? There is one God and there is no other. There is none like him. How is God going to deal with his rivals right now? He's going to show how empty the alternatives are. He's going to show them to be useless. I mean, the very fact I had to explain to you who Bel and Nebo are speaks a thousand words, doesn't it? The idol that was once known as the king of destiny is now reduced to the page of a history book. How foolish it is to think there are rivals to the one true God. And finally, how is God going to deal with his rivals? Well, the final thing to see this evening, he's going to deal with them in his grace. Just listen to verses 12 and 13. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away. And my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. But look, I know you are stubborn hearted, says God. I know that you are far from my righteousness. So what is God going to do about it? Well, any other religion would say, so sort yourself out or just try and get closer. Come on. But what does the one true God say? I am bringing my righteousness near. You see, God is going to deal with his rivals in his grace to a group of people who are unable to save themselves. God is going to bring his righteousness near. In fact, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Based on where we've just come from in Isaiah. God is the one who can use all things for his people's salvation. We saw that last week. And so God can move circumstances to bring his righteousness near, to grant salvation to his people. See, as the nations get trounced by Cyrus, as they go into exile, 
Well, I'm sure many people turned to that scroll of Isaiah that had been rolled up and filed away. And as they unrolled Isaiah and they listened to what God said 150 years earlier, they'd see these two verses. And they would realize that Cyrus has done what God said he'd do. And therefore, God's salvation must be near. You see, this verse here is the reason why all eyes were on Israel. All eyes were on Jerusalem for what's going to come next. God's grace in bringing his righteousness near. And on this side of the cross, we know how that happens. Paul wants to point us to that really clearly in the letter to the Philippians. Paul points us to that grace that came near in Philippians chapter 2. Just listen to how similar this is to Isaiah, because he's quoting Isaiah. And Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you hear Isaiah 45 there? See, it is through Jesus' death on the cross that God is revealed as the one true God. God is going to deal with his rivals in his grace. So God will deal with his rivals. Right now, he demonstrates how bankrupt they are. And in the end, he's going to bring every knee to bow before him. So what are we going to do? What is Israel to do? Well, it's right there in verse 12. Listen. Every week we come to Isaiah, that is Isaiah's big application. Isaiah wants his readers to listen and to live in light of what's being said. We said at the start there are rivals to God. There are always things that can take God's place as the ruler of the world. Since the Garden of Eden, his right to rule has been challenged. For Israel, that rival is going to look just like Bel and Nebo. The gods of the incoming invaders. It looks like those gods are in power. They have complete control. But it's just a smokescreen. It's just a house of cards. Eventually, those idols are replaced by something else. Historically, they were destroyed by the Persians, who were then uh, conquered by the Romans, who were then conquered by the what goes on and on. As I say, their reigns consigned to a page of a history book. And it's tempting for us, isn't it, to believe that the world belongs to, well, the world. In fact, today, I reckon if Isaiah was writing, he wouldn't say Bel or Nebo. He might say equality, or he might say tolerance, or he might use one of the other buzzwords of our time. Because whether you call it a god or a principle or a value really makes no difference. Until God decisively judges idolatry, there are always going to be credible rivals to God out there. And the temptation for us here this evening is that we might listen to those voices that we might believe in some small way that they might be right, to think that the world belongs to the world. But if we listen as Isaiah wants us to, we can know that however the world looks, it's not out of control. We saw God's sovereign hand behind all things last week. Instead, we can know that anything that appears to be in God's place will be demonstrably empty. And that one day, everyone will be bowing down to the true creator, and true ruler of the universe. All of those things are going to be consigned to a history book that our grandchildren, great-grandchildren may read one day. So rather than carrying a God about, we can know that we are carried by the one true God himself, and we can trust him, and we can listen to his words.
knowing that we have all that we need in him from our first breath to our grey hair. Well, I hope you found some comfort there. Any feedback can be sent to me on podcast at david-couch.com and I'll see you next time.